see everybody here on this nice, warm summer day. Let's just start out with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross and that this morning we can stand before you without fear and free from the power of sin and in peace with you, that we can boldly come into your presence because of the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, on the cross. And I pray that as we consider that this morning, that we would uh, have a renewed sense of the cost of our redemption and of our role in this world and where we stand with you. I just pray for your blessing as we open your word that you would uh, make it good to each of our hearts, that we would grow and that we would... um, there would be a change and a working of your spirit in each of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to talk this morning about the cross. And I've, I've noticed this sign. This, this sign here is on a, a board, a bar in front of the parking garage that I park in. When I pull into work every morning, that raises and lowers and lets me in. And I just noticed it more recently. It says, thank you for serving our customers. And I'm sure that the person who put that there put it there because they thought, you know, people come and go to work all the time and they get engrossed in the details of their job and who's doing what and how to do which. And they might forget that we're really here for a purpose, to serve our customers. And so let's put this sign up to remind people as they come into work, we're here to serve our customers. But you know, just like anything else, you can put reminders places pretty soon you get used to it, right? And the first time I saw that, I thought, oh, that's, that's a good idea. And then it was a couple weeks later, I saw it again. I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And I, I did remember that it was there, but you know, it's, it's not quite the daily reminder that uh, it should be. And I apologize, the, the picture's kind of blurry and stuff because I was holding the camera out my truck window trying to take a picture as I drove through and not cause any accidents. So um, it is what it is. But the reason I thought about that, it doesn't really have that much to do with the cross, but the cross is foundational to where we stand as Christians, right? It's, it's a basic thing that we have to have some level of understanding with to be a Christian, and, and it's very important to us. I would guess that some of you might even be wearing a cross this morning. Or maybe you have some symbol of a cross in your home or somewhere as you go about your daily living, but we don't want it to become like that sign going into my parking garage where repetition of seeing it, we kind of forget the value of the cross. And there's there's so many ways we could go with the cross this morning, and I would like to spend a little bit of time looking at the cross as the wisdom and power of God, and we'll we'll kind of base our message this morning on 1 Corinthians 1, the verses 18 through 25. But we could talk about the cross, you know, as the love of God. We could, we could go any number of directions with this. And even as we look at the wisdom and the power of God and the cross this morning, I'm just going to skim the surface. I can guarantee you that. It'll just be a skimming of the surface. But I hope that each of us can spend some time on our own thinking about this. The New Testament in particular is full of the cross of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is full of symbols foretelling the cross of Jesus Christ. The animal sacrifices, the bloodshed, 
the guilty, the innocent, the guilt being transferred from one group of people to an innocent creature that bore that guilt away. So you can find the cross throughout the Bible, and I hope that, that you go looking for that. If, if you do that and you get nothing else out of it this morning, I hope, I hope that that happens. Um, but let's take a look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 18 through 25. So this is really at the very beginning of this first letter we have that Paul wrote to the people in Corinth. Let me bring that up here in case you don't have it in front of you. But he writes this letter and very quickly he gets into a problem that's going on there where people are identifying with different leaders in the, in the young church. And so he says, this is not what I wanted. I didn't come telling you to follow me. Apollos didn't come trying to tell you to follow him. And he says, um, in verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul was concerned that you know, they were kind of drawn. Some of them were drawn to him. Some of them were drawn to other people. And some were good speakers. Some were not. Some were, you know, more experienced than others. Some had more knowledge. But being occupied with the teachers and the preachers and the leaders was not going to draw them to the power of the cross. In fact, it was going to draw them away from the power of the cross. And, and so Paul was trying to avoid that. So in verse 18, let's go ahead and just read that. I'll read it now. The, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God that through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So Paul steps through these two things, the wisdom and power of God, and he says the Jews, they were seeking a sign. And so if you think through the Gospels, you know, they wanted Jesus to feed them, they wanted him to heal them. Ultimately, when it came to the cross, they said, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are who you really said you are. Show yourself in power. Give us a sign. Come down from the cross. But he didn't. And that was a stumbling block to them. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't reconcile that with what they were expecting for their king, that he would stay nailed to the cross and die. So to the Jews who were seeking that sign, it became a stumbling block. The Greeks, Paul says, and I, I believe the Corinthians were Greeks, um, the Greeks were seeking wisdom. So they wanted some, you know, philosophy to go along with the cross. And as they looked at it, 
they just didn't see it. How, how does it compute that a Savior is going to die? And there's, you know, these things are here in our present world too. This isn't just ancient Jews and ancient Greeks. It's in our present world. People want to see results, right? Show me a sign. Show me a sign that what you say is going to work will work. Or maybe they say, show me the, your, your business plan. Show me your plan to get from here to here and explain to me why this is wisdom, what you're telling me to do. And there's, there's a whole industry, multiple industries that support that, but um, publication industry. You know, there's tons of books, and, and we talk about buzzwords. We say, oh, what's the latest buzzword? And I've been working long enough in the same field that I start to hear people say, well, you know, this is the same as that. It's just a different word, so you can sell books, right? And I interviewed a guy once, so we, we had a, a job opening, and, and he figured out what we needed. And the interview was just full of buzzwords. I mean, every modern buzzword related to his job, to the job that we needed, filled he strung them all together and made moderate sense, but you know what? One or two questions, and it all fell apart <laughs> because he knew the buzzwords. He didn't, know the, he didn't have an understanding of what was behind it, but, but that works sometimes, and people thrive on that. But the wisdom of the cross is different. It's God's wisdom, and we'll, we'll dig a little deeper into that, but... When the, Jew, when the Gentiles, the Greeks, looked at the cross, they said, that's foolishness. That's not wisdom. That's not going to save us. So, so uh, but God explained himself. And Paul really is a primary individual to whom God explained himself. And he wrote it in his epistles. So if you want to understand what God was doing at the cross, you're going to get the greatest understanding from reading Paul's letters. So Paul dives into it. He saw it. Um, I see it. And I think most of you see it. I hope all of you see that today. The wisdom of God in the cross and the power of God in the cross for our salvation. So where I think I would like to start, and like I said, we could go a lot of different directions with this. We're going to start out talking a little bit about the wisdom of God. And it starts, I think, one, one place it starts is God's character. So we know that God is love, right? And we know that God is righteousness, holy. Nothing, nothing sinful, nothing wrong with God. We know that God is a God of peace. We know that God is a God of truth. And these are just, like, these are just four aspects. And you could probably do this with many different attributes of God. So if you look at this picture, yes, it's organized in a cross, but everything blends well together, right? Truth, love, righteousness, and peace. In and of itself, God's character is very multifaceted. You know, sometimes people look at God's righteousness and they say, oh, he must not be love. Or they look at his love and they say, he can't be truth. And we try to reconcile these things and we have trouble reconciling it because we think God is one-dimensional. But God's not one-dimensional. He's, he's more like a diamond with all those facets, different angles that 
that show out the beauty of the light. So God in himself, there's, there's not a conflict here. There's not a problem here. The problem, and I, I trust we all know this, but the problem took place when sin came into the world, when sin came into God's creation. Because now love says, I only can rejoice in the truth. I can't rejoice in wrongdoing. If you read wrongdoing, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, the attributes of love, it doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. And now we've got wrongdoing, right? Truth, same thing. Now that sin has come into this world, there's an area that truth is incompatible with, right? Righteousness, it's the opposite, you could say, of sin. That's not compatible. Peace and righteousness can't get together around sin because if you, if you apply righteousness, there's going to be judgment. If you apply peace, you're going to have to look the other way about sin. And so this problem came in when sin came into the world. And so sin through man and even earlier through, through Satan himself came into God's creation and disrupted, you could say, the harmony of God's being. There were options. He could cast out. He could destroy. But what did he do? He gave his only begotten son to take that place in the center of the cross where God's righteousness and his love came together where he was able to make a way for man to be made just. So let's look at this verse in Romans chapter 3. I'll just read it here. It says, Redemption is in Christ Jesus by his blood to be received by faith. So redemption is buying back what was lost. What, so God had a right over people. Sin took us away from God. He paid the price and bought us back brought us back to himself. That's redemption. And it's only by Christ Jesus and his blood. And it's received by us. We can be redeemed by faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. And so there's that little summary there at the beginning. And then it goes on. It says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you see, Paul says in Romans here that Jesus' death on the cross showed that God was just. Somebody that understands God and his character might have looked at what was going on in creation and said, look, Adam and Eve, they sinned and you didn't kill them. They died, yes, they died, and they suffered, but you didn't really completely deal with their sin. Look, David sinned. Look, Abraham sinned. Look, 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 everybody sinned, and you were merciful to them. It says, in God's divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins. And so all of this time, 4,000 years of history, there could have been a shadow in somebody's mind to say, is God really just? Doesn't justice demand that all those people be destroyed? But the cross 
showed his justice. It showed his righteousness because it showed that God was making a way for those who were sinners, who were incompatible with God, to be brought right into his presence because Jesus took our sins in his own body on the cross and he bore the punishment for the sins. So God can say, those sins are already paid for. I'm still just. I got justice. I got righteousness. And I got it from my own son. And if any man or woman who is a sinner and recognizes that takes shelter in the blood of the cross, there's peace now. And it's compatible with righteousness. There's love now flowing out from God to man, and it's compatible with truth because of the cross. But, you know, I think of that center point of the cross as we've drawn it here this morning and, and the pressure of that that our Savior bore on the cross. The holy, righteous, just judgment of God against our sins. And he stood in the gap for us. What love, what love. And now it can flow out to us because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And, you know, the psalmist in Psalm 85 had some sense of this. I don't know how much, you know, he wrote from inspiration and didn't, didn't fully see how this would work out or not. But he says, surely his salvation, the Lord's salvation is near to those who fear him. So our land will be filled with his glory. And this sentence Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. So God dealt with sin on the cross. It's gone. So unfailing love and truth have met together again. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Those things that are incompatible when in the existence of sin are now fully compatible again. And God, through the cross, showed his wisdom in a plan that could pull that off, if I could say it that way. It, it's amazing. And so we live in a blessed place of understanding how God did that through the cross of Jesus so we can have that peace and that rest and that assurance that many in the Old Testament didn't have as they offered their sacrifices and offerings that didn't give God full pleasure over the issue of sin. So let's move on to the power of God. And with the power of God, I, I was thinking about um, there's a military strategy, and it, it was used, that, I think, multiple times in the Old Testament, but it's, it's probably a fairly common strategy, I would imagine. But the children of Israel, when they came into the Promised Land, when they came into Palestine, they defeated Jericho, wiped them out, and were kind of, you know, probably on a, a high from that early, easy victory. They saw this city called Ai. And that's why I'm calling this the Ai strategy. That's my name for it. There's probably a more technical uh, war, war science name for it. But there's this city of Ai. They went to check it out, and they came back, and they said, oh, it's a little city. Don't worry about it. Don't even send the whole army. Just send a few people to go wipe that city out. And so they did, and this little city wiped them out. And it caused a lot of soul-searching, and it caused a lot of dependence on God. But then when God 
when sin was dealt with, because there was a couple sin issues going on in Israel at that time, once that was dealt with, God said, here's, here's the strategy. I want you to take some of your army, send them around the backside of the city, then send the rest of the army up to the front door and engage the enemy in battle. And then I want you to make a retreat. And then we'll have the ambush come around from the outside and destroy the city. And why I thought of this with, in connection with the cross is because it reminds me of the strategy, if you will, of the power of God shown at the cross. Jesus engaged death. Jesus engaged Satan. And he went in in such a way that it appeared like retreat. Right? So there were times throughout Jesus' life where they wanted to kill him. They were going to throw him over a cliff. And he just walked through the crowd because it wasn't time yet. He didn't engage them in that way. There were times when they wanted to make him king. And he hid himself because it wasn't time for him to be king. But when it came time for this battle of the cross, Jesus went. His face was set towards Jerusalem. His friends said, don't go. They want to kill you. But Jesus went. He went right to the gate of Jerusalem. He went right into the city, knowing that people were plotting his death. Because it was time. It was his time to fight this battle. And he did fight this battle. And it would, appear, would have appeared, you know, Friday, as the day wore on, that he lost the battle. There he was, stretched out on the cross, bleeding, probably barely bleeding anymore. He lost so much blood. And he cried one last great cry and said, it is finished. And as the day went on, they came and they checked everybody that was hanging up on a cross that day. And they wanted them to be able to die before the end of the day. And they came to Jesus and he was dead already. But they wanted to make sure. So they took a spear and they pierced him in the side. Probably went up to his heart cavity because water and blood came out. Proof that his death was accomplished. Proof, as I understand it, when somebody dies in, in great pain, water will amass around their heart. And that's part of the dying process of a painful death. And so when the water came out and the blood came out, it was proof of the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. And they took him down and they put him in a tombstone and they put a stone over the grave. How defeated did that look? How defeated did that look? And his followers were frightened and they hid. But you know, we know the rest of the story, but if you, if you could put yourself in that day, you know, the end of that day when Jesus died, and see, would you think, we just saw the great power of God. You might, because when Jesus died, there was an earthquake. People came out of the graves. And so if you were paying attention to everything that was going on, you would say, something is going on here that's supernatural. And, and one of the soldiers did say that. He said, surely this man was the Son of God. So in his death... And this verse from Hebrews, let's read it now. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, that through death, Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death, 
that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus went right into the stronghold of death. He went into death itself, and he came out victorious. The third day, he rose again. Over 500 people saw him. Several of them wrote their stories down, their eyewitness stories, and we have them here in the Word of God to see the power of God in the cross, to see what he actually accomplished. He destroyed the power of Satan. You know, we talked about Adam and Eve. Did you know, yes, you knew that in the Adam, in the Garden of Eden, God said, he went around, he kind of gave Adam and Eve and Satan, each one a little scolding and a curse, right? When he got to Satan, he said, you're going to bruise the woman's offspring, but the offspring is going to crush your head. Jesus crushed his head at the cross. So the power of Satan, the power of death is gone for those who take shelter in the blood of Jesus. And that, that's what we hope that everyone in this room has done, has taken shelter in the blood of Jesus, has put your faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary so that you can be in that place of freedom from the fear and from the power of sin and of death. So I want to look at a few other things There's related to the power of God and, and what's accomplished in the cross. And this comes from, I took three, three different passages, I think, here and, and just took some of the contrasts of before and after the cross. And I, I messed it up. <laughs> so you can't necessarily see how, how this laid out. But we were far off before the cross, apart from the cross. And it says we're near. And that's from Ephesians 2, verse 13. And, and the context of that, God's talking about the fact that the Gentiles, the people that weren't Jews, didn't have a blessing from God to rely on before Jesus came. But when Jesus came, he put all mankind, every nation, under one connection to God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross. So we go from being far off, not having any claims of, on God, to being near to God through the cross. There, in that same passage, he talks about the fact that there was hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, and that was destroyed in the cross. And these verses are all directly connected to the cross and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. If you go look them up and others, you can see many of these things. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, talks about the fact that now, because of the cross, I am dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. So John says, everything that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So things that are attractive to me, that I see that I want, things that make me feel good, things that make me proud of myself. All those things, the world is full of them, but, and they pull you away. They pull you all away from God because our joy and our glory and our boasting is all rightly in the cross of Jesus, right? And so the world pulls us away from that, but the cross puts us in a place where we can say, that's all dead to me. 
That doesn't have the same pull, the same influence that it did before the cross. Colossians 2 says that we were dead in sins, and now we're alive. So even though God was long-suffering and patient with sinners, and he let them live for a period of time, we were living in death. We have that death, death sentence. We were on death row, if you will, as people that have sinned until Jesus came and paid that death for us, took the death that we deserved to die so that we could live a life that we could only live in him. And so he gave us fullness of life, an abundant life, he called it, through the cross. And this is one of my favorite ones. It's in that same passage, Colossians 2, chapter 14. Um, there was, so on the left side it's supposed to say, there was a record of debt against us. And then on the right side, the rest of it should be there. It says, canceled and nailed to the cross. So there is a record of debt against us. And I've been listening to the book of Deuteronomy, and Moses is talking about how, you know, if you don't obey these things, all these cursings are going to come on you. And they did. They came on the nation of Israel, one after the other after the other. Sometimes they turned back, sometimes they didn't. But there is a record of debt, sin debt, against all of us before the cross. But God took that record, every last sin that we've committed, and he put it on Jesus, and he nailed it to the cross. So when you feel guilt, if you've come to know Jesus as your Savior, he has taken your debt, that record of the debt of your sins on himself. It was nailed to the cross. When you feel guilt for sin, yes, you confess that sin to God, but you can turn to Colossians 2, and you can read, that guilt was nailed to the cross of Jesus. I bear it no more. I bear it no more. And you bear it no more. Then finally, in that same passage in Colossians 2, it talks about how there were spiritual rulers and authorities that were shamed publicly. And when the Bible talks about spiritual darkness and, and authorities, or some translations say principalities, it's talking about Satan and his angels who kind of pull a lot of strings in this world. Satan has a dominion in this world today, and he has people that he can control, and he does. But he was put to shame publicly on the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the power of God in the cross, and this is just three different passages that speak about the cross. You know, and I have a story like that too. I was proud, a self-centered person, but as I grew in my knowledge of the grace of God and my knowledge of the cross and my knowledge of my own sin too, God humbled me and he gave me an ability to love others. That's my 15-second story. And I wonder if you have a story like that this morning. Have you come to the cross? Do you know the change that God has made for you? You know, I, I was saved at a very early age, but I still had these thoughts about myself. 
that were uh, way better than reality. <laughs> and it made it hard for me to love people when I looked around and saw that they didn't measure up to my standard. But as I read the Word of God and I actually paid attention to it, as I looked at what happened at the cross, as I looked at the grace of God, as I looked at the things that God hates and calls detestable, I realized I need the cross. I need it worse than anybody. My sin is at the top of the list with God. But he redeemed me. He gave his son on the cross to save me from my sins. And you know, that, that has impacted, I've grown in my understanding of grace. And that has, over time, you know, I, I'm not, not fully sanctified in that yet, but it, it's really humbled me. And it's a good humbling. And it's really given me the ability to look at others and realize that they are where I am. And that we're brothers and sisters and that they have the same need that I have, and I have the same need that they have. So I want to look at one more thing here with, in connection with the power of God. This passage from Romans 6 is important, I think. So I'd like to read that. It says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that, in, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. So that, that song, Rock of Ages, that old hymn, there's a line in it that says about the cross. It says, Be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. So at the cross of Jesus, the guilt of our sins, the punishment for our sins, went out on Jesus. But you know, there's something else here called out in this passage that's true at the cross as well. It delivers us from the power of sin. You know, sin has a grip on us. If you read Romans chapter 7, you see Paul goes through that and he says, man, I wanted to do the right thing, but I did the wrong thing. I just, I, I just felt like I couldn't help myself. Well, the cross delivers us from that power when we understand it and when we claim that. And so Paul says here in Romans chapter 6, he says, don't let sin control the way you live. So if you go back to that AI strategy, if you think of, about that, you know, what if after the Israelites had wiped out that city, they went back to that city and said, okay, now we'll be your slaves. You tell us what to do. You tell us where to live. You tell us what work you want done. We're here to serve you. It wouldn't make sense, would it? Why fight the battle if the power is not going to be broken? Jesus on the cross broke that power, and it's a very real power. Don't sell it short in your life. Look to God, look to the grace of the Lord Jesus to deliver you from the power of sin so that you can say no to sin. You didn't really have that ability before the cross. Now, through the cross, through the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, for the new life that God has given you, seen in resurrection, 
you have the power to break the chain, not to break the chains of sin, to walk free from sin because God has broken the chains of sin for you. And so our lives can be different. The war is won, so don't go back to the servitude of the captors. So to go back to our verses there in 1 Corinthians 1, there's two classes of people mentioned in that passage. You know, they say there's they say there's three kinds of people, those that know how to count and those that don't, right? <laughs> so Paul, there's like three different uh, categorizations of people in this verse, but there's two that I want to call out this morning that create a dichotomy of the human race. It's those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Every single person in this room this morning falls into one or the other of those categories. There's no third one, not even for those that can't count. You're perishing or you're saved. And it all centers around what you've done with the cross of Jesus. Does it seem like foolishness to you? Does it seem like weakness? What would I want to have to do with somebody that died 2,000 years ago? That seems ridiculous. Is that how you're thinking? Then Paul describes you as perishing. And perishing you know, there, we can buy non-perishable food that lasts forever, but perishable stuff, it's destroyed. And the Bible is full of that truth, that for those who do not put their faith in the Lord Jesus, there is a day of judgment coming, a separation from God, of hell, of punishment. You don't want to be there. I don't want you to be there. I don't want you to be perishing this morning. And the other class is where I am. I'm saved. Saved by the cross of Christ, the power and wisdom of God. So I guess that picture was, was supposed to help, but I didn't, uh, didn't click to it soon enough. But there is a divide in the human race because of the cross of Jesus. Those who are perishing and those who are saved. Just as there's two groups of people, there's a couple different things I want to encourage us, each one in this room, to mourn this morning as a result of what we've talked about with regards to the cross. And if you are here this morning and you don't think the cross matters to you, you don't see it as the power and wisdom of God, then I want to look at this verse for you. It says God, and the, uh, Paul is preaching here, he's preaching um, to people about the ways that they lived in the past. And he says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. So remember we talked about how in the Old Testament times, people didn't really know how God was going to bring about this salvation, how he was going to bring his love and his righteousness and his justice and his peace all together. But now they knew. And Paul had revealed it to them. And he says, now God commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead so it might have happened 2000 years ago but jesus did rise from the dead it's one of the best documented historical facts jesus did rise from the dead and that was god's proof that 
Jesus was his son, that Jesus did pay the debt of sins, and you need him as your Savior, and God commands you to repent. That means you're going away from him, you turn around, and you leave your sins behind, but you come to Jesus because Jesus can cleanse you from the guilt of sin. He can free you from the power of sin in your life. You don't have to live in that bondage anymore. And so if, if, if you do feel like you're in that category this morning of perishing, you can turn, you can do this right in your chair. But if you have questions, there's any number of people in this room who would be happy to, to talk to you about that, myself included. Um, and it, it would be a great day if today somebody would turn to the Lord Jesus as their Savior and put their trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross for you. Now, for those of us that are saved, there's also a call to action. Um, that, there's many calls to action, obviously, in the Scriptures, but this one I wanted to call out in particular from 2 Corinthians 5. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's kind of a long verse. There's a lot of things in there, but the cross was a one-for-all transaction. Jesus died for all. And now those of us who are saved, our lives before the cross, they were perishing. They, they didn't, I don't want to say they didn't count for anything, but in a way, they didn't count for anything until Jesus died and redeemed that life. And so if Jesus had to die to give us life, Paul's saying it's appropriate that we would live our lives for Jesus, not for ourselves anymore, not for selfish uh, gain and, and things that we want, but for the one who died so that we can live. And so God, it says that he's reconciling the world to himself. We talked about the problem of sin and God. They're not compatible. But through the cross, God makes me compatible with himself. He reconciled me to himself. And now he wants me, it says, to give this message of reconciliation to the world around me. So we're not in this world to get the best we can out of the rest of our life. We're in this world to live for Christ and to bring this message of the cross to those around us. And there's people all around us that need this message, and we can be stirred up in that. So this morning, we're going to remember the cross. We've been talking about it. Um, and Jesus asked that we would take bread and take juice, break it, eat of it, drink it, as a remembrance of what he did on the cross. So this morning as we do that, you know, it, it's kind of like that sign at, at my parking garage. It, it reminds me of what I'm there for, and I can get used to it. You know, we can get used to coming up and taking the bread and the juice, but we don't want to do it just as something that we're used to doing. We want to do it truly in remembrance of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross so let me just give thanks for the bread and the juice, and then um, 
you can come forward and, and partake of it. Lord Jesus, thank you for your cross. Thank you that you've saved us through something that seemed to the world to be weakness and foolishness, but you've shown it to be a great power for salvation, for redemption, for new and abundant life in you. Thank you for the, the bread that reminds us of your body in which you bore our sins on the cross and your blood that you shed to redeem us from the sin that we had committed and from the power of sin. And we just ask your blessing on the remainder of our time as we worship and we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you for the cross. Father, as we sing this final song, may you fill our hearts with courage and hope and boldness as we go out this week to be ambassadors for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples see his glory. Thank you for coming this week. Hope to see you back next week.